0: whistle-stop tour of some things that I felt like we should share Um, I'm going to introduce very similar to how I introduced uh, Friday Church if you were there my apologies you'll have heard this first five minutes but it leads us into what I want us to teach on which is from John chapter 17 which we'll get to uh, in a moment or two but John writes uh, very differently to the other three gospel writers Matthew Mark and Luke His account of Jesus' life is very, very different. And um, what we can find between chapters 12 through to 16 uh, documented are really the last days and the last hour or two before Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to just briefly touch on some of those things. Um, I know that this is resurrection and I know that I'm going back to before um, and I hope you'll see why and I hope that you'll understand as we go on. But in John 12, six days before the Passover festival in Jerusalem, Jesus is anointed uh, with this incredible perfume uh, worth a year's wages. And Jesus says that it was intended for his burial. Later on in the chapter, he rides a young donkey into Jerusalem and he's welcomed. uh, Palm Sunday, which we celebrated last week, is the time when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It's Passover festival. It's the most busy time of the year. It's like I was going to say it's like Christmas. It's a completely different festival, right? It's like a busy time in the city, and people have come out onto the streets and they've lo- they've put down their coats and they've put down. They've cut palm tree branches down, and they're still undivided, undecided, really, as to you know, is this who he says he is, or is this just some kind of phony? And as the days go on, things begin to hot up within the city. Jesus predicts his own death. Then in John. 13, we pick up the Last Supper, that incredible intimate meal that Jesus shares with his 12 disciples. During that time, he washes the disciples' feet. The most intimate act, the most lowly of low jobs that a servant could do for anyone is to get down and wash the muck off of bare feet. And Jesus does that to his disciples and he's demonstrating something that we would do well to emulate. We do what we do because Jesus did it. We do what we do because Jesus modeled it and he asks and invites us to do the same. I love that part of being a follower of Jesus that we actually lay down our lives and that we roll our sleeves up and we get our hands dirty and we get alongside those who need to know the presence of Jesus in their lives. And that's such a hallmark of who we are as a church and who we are trying to be as disciples, as followers of Jesus, that we would do... Likewise, during John 13 he predicts that he's going to be betrayed by Judas and he also predicts that Peter is going to deny him. In John 14 he comforts his disciples, he says this to them, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. My father has many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He explains the role and the personality of the Holy Spirit which is incredibly helpful for us to understand. Then in John 15, uh, he talks about the vine and the branches. He uses this brilliant illustration about how we are to have relationship with Jesus through being grafted in and being a part of the vine. He explains later that the world will hate his disciples and he explains more about the role of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, he comforts his disciples again saying two separate things. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. And right at the very end he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is an incredibly intimate time that Jesus is sharing this meal and he's sharing these words with his disciples prior to going to the cross prior to literally leaving and going together through the valley and up the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we can pick up the story another time. But right before they leave, in chapter 17 of John, he prays for three things. First of all, he prays for himself, the first five verses. Then he prays for his disciples who are there and then present. And then the last bit, he prays for us, every single one of us, And we're included in that prayer, and that's where we pick up the story. There are six verses, starting verse 20 of John 17, that we're going to read together and then touch on a few things. My prayer is not for them alone. When he says them, he means his disciples, the 12 seated with him there when he's praying to the Father. It's not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. and that I myself may be in them. Just remembering the context of this prayer. It's at the end of their meal together. It's at the end of Jesus' teaching together with the 12 disciples. And he prays and then they leave to go to the garden. And he begins by simply saying, My prayer is not for just the disciples, but it's for us, us, each one of us here. any one of us throughout all the generations and the generations to come that may believe in me this includes us and what does he pray what's the central message from what we have literally just read it's about unity unity that all of them may be one Father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God desires unity, oneness, wholeness. Right from the very beginning of creation, whenever God created us in his image, he created us and intended us to have a relationship with it, to have this right relationship. And right from the very beginning, from the get-go, when sin entered the world and we began to do things in our own strength, in our own life, and we begin to mess up and we begin to wander from relationship with Jesus sin enters the world and it separates us from relationship when Chantelle and I have an argument which is really rare (coughs) I think it was five years ago we last fell out (laughs) five minutes before we came maybe in fact we didn't actually argue this morning that was quite good (laughs) You know what it's like when you come into church, right? I'll give you a slight Bible, those of you who are late, a slight Bible, if you had an argument before coming. Only slight. Whenever there's an argument, there's separation of relationship, right? It's just natural. It's just what happens. And in order for right relationship to be restored, one of us or both of us have to humble ourselves and have to come and say, i got it wrong, I'm sorry. Jake, you're feeling my pain, aren't you? You've been there. Says it all over your face, mate. And all the others, they've just got good poker faces. They're not giving it away. <laughs> Boils down to relationship. And we read the Old Testament And we read this cat and mouse kind of relationship between God and his special people, Israel. I will make for me a special people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that I might demonstrate the very thing that I wanted when I created mankind, and that is to have relationship. And we read time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God's people humble themselves and come, and there's right relationship restored. And then, after a bit of time, they wander and they start doing things their own way, and they get off track, and they start losing the plot, and they begin doing all kinds of things that Jesus told, that Jesus, he wasn't, that God told them not to at that time. And this is the same relationship through Jesus. Jesus on this day, on victory day, the bridge was made, the ultimate perfect sacrifice, the lamb that takes away the sin of this world, the only one that could pay for our sin, came. I became a Christian when I was 16 years of age. And uh, I realized that I had a few things that needed sorted out. And with time, through God's grace and through his mercy and through his still small voice, he began to just kind of say, hey Paul, you might want to have a look at that attitude that you've got over there. Or you might want to just do something about the way you're behaving over here. And just lovingly and graciously just led me to repentance. Repentance meaning a change of living. And it wasn't like I had the church pastor or the youth leader say, Paul, you really should stop doing X, Y, and Z. I said, oh, you're a really naughty boy there. It was the Holy Spirit. Just gently, gently. It's his his kindness leads us to repentance. And through that, we have restoration. Jesus prays there before that we might be one with the Father. We might be one with Jesus. Jesus, um, literally minutes we assume, in John 15, talks about the vine, talks about abiding in him, something that we talked about in our Becoming series, about being in relationship with Jesus. It's interesting that in that time, he knew that hours later, one of the 12 listening was literally going to betray him and sell him off for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that hours later that one of his best, his top man in fact, the one, the rock that he was going to build the church on, would actually deny him three times. Briefly look at that from Mark 14. Peter's already sworn, Jesus, I'll never do that. I'll go to... Death with you and we know the story, Jesus says, before the cock crows, you're going to have denied me. Before this, they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Right into the courtyard of the high priest, there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Shortly after, Peter denies knowing Jesus. There's something in the distance. Something in those three words, at a distance. When Peter was following Jesus at a distance, he was more likely to deny him. And folks, when we are following Jesus at a distance, we are much more likely to deny him. We're much more likely to go and do our own thing in life but when we choose to abide in him, when we choose to have relationship with him, when we choose to carve out time and simply be in his presence, when we choose to stick on the worship CDs, or we choose to open the book and begin to ask and invite God to speak to us through his words, when we choose to confess our sins towards one another, when we choose to serve the last, the least, and the lost, when we choose to give away our finances and our resources, and and we choose and we choose and we choose relationship with Jesus we come alive and when we decide to follow him at a distance we are much more likely to deny him Jesus says may they also be on us so that the world may believe that you have sent me I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one and a number of other things and we're running out of time speeding up the world just a week ago watched an international monument a galactic house of prayer burn not quite to the ground but a significant amount of damage and i'm sure like me many of you were just just gutted by that devastated by this incredible incredible building and yes it's right that it would be restored of course But the church was never about a building. It's just a building. Now, shoot me later, especially if you're French. It's just a building. The church of Jesus is the people. It's the people of God. And it's his presence living in us. That oneness that Jesus prays here is his presence living in our lives. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure in jars of clay. Folks, we are jars of clay. If we are a believer and we know and we profess to follow Jesus, we are a jar of clay. And it's his treasure, his presence that lives in us. And where we go, he goes. Wherever we are, wherever he takes us, wherever we go this afternoon and this week or whatever, his presence goes with us. I was with someone last week um, who's not a believer, is uh, from, the, from the Catholic Church and we were just having a brilliant conversation, he was picking my brains um, about what we do here in church and I said well, you know, oh, I haven't got time to say what I said and he said I'm not a believer myself, I don't believe in God um, but I try to live really well and I really honour that and admire that actually. And, uh, and I just, it was one of those conversations, I'm sure like me, you've had that with other people where I was just able to say, I'm really sorry that your opinion of the church and of Christians is not what it should be because he had a very negative um, opinion of the church. I said, I'm so sorry. I can totally understand. I said, I don't know where it went wrong. We have created barriers for people to jump over instead of gates for people to walk through. I'm so sorry that we've made it a religion and a religious experience instead of relationship. Jesus who came, and boy, he connected with every walk of life, openly, lovingly. He didn't shun them. He didn't say, go away, clean yourself up, and then come back to me. He just met them where they were at. The church of Jesus has a tremendous opportunity in this current climate that we live in to be hope in a time where a lot of people are feeling hopeless and hurting and confused. That begins with us. That starts with us. That starts with us us as people. starts with us as a church. Jesus' prayer is for unity and yet it breaks our hearts, doesn't it, when very often the church of Jesus is deeply divided. May we be at one with our brothers and sisters. May we, I urge you again, if you're a part of our church, Carrick Vineyard, that we would speak well of the wider body of church. That outside of the four walls here, when we're having conversations, we do not dishonor the church of Jesus. He we are the bride. When he returns, he's not coming for the this and the that. He's coming for the church. And that's all of us. And we must always speak well and lead well and be honorable to the wider body of Christ. What I love, uh, one of the things I love this morning, uh, those of you who know me, I have a love-hate thing with Facebook. And uh, I trawl sometimes on Chantel's profile <laughs> and uh just a bit nosy and I was nosy this morning and just just seeing all these wonderful images he's risen in about 10 different kind of images and all the rest and hashtag Easter and all that sort of stuff I'm trying to be cool and Chantel's probably thinking you're a rare beast right now from other churches and other people that we know are believers here there and everywhere just love seeing that got a wonderful text message from Emma Crawford Uh, This morning, who's in Ethiopia, she just sent through a few messages um, saying that they had their dawn, uh, kind of sunrise service together, and uh, she said uh, that she's praying for us, and we'd be praying for her, and all that sort of stuff. It's the body of Christ all over the world. We're united as one. I really need to speed up. Okay, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. God is at work, and he's sometimes in places we don't expect him. All those years ago, Mary was the first one at the tomb, and she expected to see Jesus' body in the grave, but he wasn't there. He wasn't where she expected him to be. And God often is in places we don't expect him to be. God is in the pub with that lonely fella propping up the bar stool. God is in the playground with a child who's crying because she's lost her mummy. God is in the brothel with the prostitute who's trying to pay her way to raise her child. He's on the cancer ward with patients and families coming to terms with the doctor's prognosis. God's also in the car when we're driving to work and when we're on the toilet in the shower. He's there when we walk the dog. We're just trying to get our head shawed. Showered. Just trying to get... God's with us in that moment. He's not just in church. He's in all those places, and he's often in places we don't expect him to be. And God is inviting us. He's saying, come, come on over here. You might not want to go there, but I'm inviting you to be there. And if he's inviting you to this place and that place, well, good luck. (laughs) I shouldn't really say that, good luck. God bless. (laughs) God bless. But you know it's him when he continues to just whisper, whisper, whisper. Come, I'm in, I'm in this school still, he says to me. And I'm like, that's great, God. I left it three years ago. <laughs> yes, Paul, but there are people there I want you to hang out with and be Jesus to. That's great, God. Send someone else. That's how the conversation went until I obeyed. Okay, God, I'm here. We'll end.